Another fortnight, another episode of One For You. Today we're going to discuss current film Summer 1993. The gem today is Slow West. I'm Olivia. I'm Andre. Alright, the World Cup is finally over, which means that there are actually films in cinema again. So Some, some films. Some films. Yes. But you know. So, uh, Andre, have you managed to see anything in the last two weeks? Yes, I actually saw something very exciting. A, a new film called Hereditary by Ari Aster. It's his first feature and it's a horror film, a genre that I'm usually not drawn to because I'm very scared. Mm. I have big reactions in the movie theater. <laughs> uh, so uh, the film is about uh, the death of a grandmother and the, the family who, who is in this aftermath of, of, uh, of her death. And then mysterious stuff starts to happen, especially with the daughter. And uh, it's, it's uh, played, the mother is played by uh, Toni Collette, which is fantastic. And the, the whole cast is, uh, is good. I, in the end, I didn't like it too much because it's very inconsistent and it kind of turned into a completely different movie. So I was somewhat disappointed because there was so much more potential and it turned into something kind of mediocre in the end. Hmm. Okay, yeah, better you than me because I am terrified of horror films, so yes. definitely not going to watch that. No, uh, I instead went to see Ant-Man and the Wasp, which we finally got here because of the World Cup. You know, they saw, thought people go watch football instead of this, so they waited like a month for us to get it, and it's finally here, and it's a sequel to Ant-Man, and this time around, Scott Lang, aka Ant-Man, played by Paul Rudd, has been on house arrest for two years because he was involved in the events of Civil War, so instead of going in the, on adventures, he's just spending time with his daughter. But then soon duty calls when uh, Hope Van Dyne and her father Hank Pym need his help to get to the quantum realm. Mm, physics. I didn't understand any of that, but it was fun. Um, so what I think is cool is that it's not just Ant-Man, but Ant-Man and the Wasp. So finally you have um, Hope Van Dyne, uh, played by Evangeline Lilly, who can suit up as the Wasp. Because all throughout the first film I was wondering like, why isn't she the main character? I mean, she needs to teach him everything and her father is the one who invented the suit. So about time so that's pretty cool and it's very funny a very funny film and I think it has an emotional core though as well which is about the relationships between fathers and daughters and it's just a big shout out to um, Abby Ryder Fortson who plays Scott's daughter Cassie she's amazing she's really amazing and I actually prefer it to the first film so definitely a recommendation okay so it's not about insects I mean Technically, there are some insects. Now to What's Up, the segment in which we discuss a movie that's in cinemas right now. Andre, what? what is it? So we went to see uh, Summer 1993, uh, which is a feature debut by Clara Simon, um, and, and Spanish-Catalan director. And the film is about the six-year-old Frida, who, um, after the death of her mother, is um, adopted by her aunt and uncle and she yeah as she struggles with her grief and expressing her emotions she is uh, living on this uh, countryside home and uh, tries to figure out where her life is going from there I mean she has not really agency because she's so young but this is also about the family and how they handle her and there's this mysterious illness in the background so this is one um, heartbreaking scene on the playground where she she falls and some uh, old protective parents just run to her like send their kids away because they cannot touch her because something is wrong with her but it's it's only alluded to and one is not really sure so Mm -hmm. but what is interesting is that it's completely her story it's uh from the very first frame it's um 
it's told from her perspective in every sense um, from the camera uh, you see the back of her head it's her vantage point and even the, the play with the with the focus uh, really accentuates her view and her look onto the world and it's also how many scenes are framed through doorways from a lower vantage point so it's this um, uh, Steven Spielberg E.T. feel where in E.T. you only see the, the, the adults um, until the hip so you, you imitated this this view or this child's view and um, I, I thought that was the strongest part of the movie that how it imitated this uh, this child's view onto the world. Yeah I mean I agree with that but I do not agree with your assessment that the illness is only alluded to. I mean they never say it it's AIDS but I think it's very clear that it's about AIDS it's not explicit. It's but implicit. all the tropes okay, are there, yeah, and also in you know, also in all the promo material, they speak about this because oh, okay. I yeah, seen it's any it's very so. very okay. clear. Um, also because it's um Carla Simon's own story. Her parents too died of AIDS, so this is a very personal story yeah. um for her, and it's um apparently in Spain in the beginning of the nineties there were like something like twenty thousand people died of AIDS because they didn't have you know, the, the medicine to fight AIDS wasn't around then, mm. and lots of children were also infected by their mothers, um, you know. And uh, Carla, Minza, Carla Simone says she was lucky that she wasn't infected. And yes. um, this is basically the question in the film, whether Frida is uh, infected or not. That's why the parents overreact like that, because mm. at the time, um, AIDS was this very, I mean, scary uh, illness. It's still a scary illness, but at the time, people didn't know exactly... Yeah. how it works or and what you, it was you say it's the the story of her and and aids but no that, no it's not the yeah. story of her and yeah, aids and i'm just saying i think it's clear that uh, yes that okay. aids is the illness that killed her parents okay agreed uh it's alluded to for me it wasn't that clear but uh yeah after especially the second half you, you find out and mm -hmm. it's implicit that it is uh it's it's but it's very little about this. Yeah, I it's, think it's, it's more about her adjusting to her new life and trying to fit in in this new family structure where her aunt and uncle now become her parents, her cousin becomes her sister, mm -hmm. and she's trying to figure out how she fits in there. And basically what you just see, I mean, you said it's imitating this child's point of view, and what you see is just children being children I mean it almost feels like they just let the children play and then mm. it held the camera on it because of the way they they walk and talk and move it feels very much like they're children I mean it's also very good acting especially Laia Artigas who plays Frida is very very good yes, I think it, on her she face she essentially like, carries the whole film yeah because she's in almost every frame and on her mm. face you can see everything I mean she can be impish or scared and she can also be cruel like children are and she's she's very good at it but I think it's just not a very engaging film no I was not invested at all there was one moment where I I gasped a little but then the the situation is is resolved very quickly somehow and then the, the whole tension falls apart and that's kind of the, the problem with it because there's somewhat no stakes yeah and there's i i'm not very i wasn't really interested in the characters either so throughout the film i was rather bored yeah i have to say i agree with that i mean it's I think if you just see children playing, if they're not your children, it's not that interesting, <laughs> to be honest. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I get the intention behind it and it's a very personal film and it's mm. 
No, it's a decision to just focus on the little beats and not make it a dramatic story. Yeah. I mean, that is I, very strong. Yeah, and yeah. I think this is uh, possibly how it how it could go down because children are, you know, the resilient and and maybe they it makes more sense that they have the little moments, you know, where they try and figure it out. But as a film, as a cinema goer, then it just doesn't engage. Yeah, it was it was something that I to some extent could enjoy. Because I saw the effort and I saw an intention behind it, and I thought it was very um, consistent uh, throughout, and also how the, the environment was created. It was very believable, mm -hmm. and that's probably the, its strongest suit. But throughout, as a film, it didn't quite work for me. Yeah, I mean, we'd have to say not everyone agrees because I think she yeah. got the prize for best, best feature, first feature, yeah. The Berlinale and, so yeah. people obviously enjoy it, but I think it's not one for us. All right, so now straight to uh, the talk about our gem. And um, we discuss something that has been out for a while. So that means that there will be spoilers. So if you do not like spoilers on principle, now is the time to leave. If, however, you are super into spoilers, stay with us. Um, we're going to be talking about Slow West, which is a 2015 film by John M. McLean. And it's about Jay, played by Cody Smith-McPhee, um, who's a young Scottish aristocrat who's come to America to find the woman he loves, namely Rose. And along the way, he meets up with Silas, played by Michael Fassbender, who takes him under his wing. But not for selfless reasons, no. Because it turns out there is a bounty on Rose and her father because they accidentally killed Jay's uh, uncle back in Scotland. So Jay and Silas travel west and they battle outlaws and, you know, the, the tough conditions of the untamed wild. So, I don't know. Okay, so this this film did not go where I thought it was going to go. Have you seen it before? No, no. I haven't. just recommended it on no yes. grounds. I thought, you know, Slow West, uh, seeing the trailer, I was like, this could be cool. Um, but the thing is, as it turns out, you know, you think, okay, Jay is going after the woman he loves and, you know, they're going to be together and anything. But then it turns out she doesn't even like him. She told him, like, you know, you're a brother to me. And for some reason, he cannot take no for an answer. And he's this, just this privileged aristocratic boy. And everything he does makes everything worse, basically. I mean, because she tells him no. Mm -hmm. And then he can't take no for an answer, and then somehow this leads to his uncle being killed accidentally by her father. Which means they have to leave the country and go to a different continent. And then, you know, it's just, I don't know. Well, for me, um, I saw it before, but I, I realized that I don't really remember much, which is saying something. Mm -hmm. uh, but then when I watched it again, I realized how underwhelming everything was. It, it certainly understated, intentionally understated, but underwhelming in a way that there are all the right components. There's uh, uh, great actors that I really admire, mm -hmm. fast fans and Mendelssohn, which I'm great fans of, but everything is so toned down and uh, kind of everybody had an average day, it seems, when they did the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's not... It's... it's uh, there are good things in it, yeah. but everything is only touched upon. Yeah. There's so much they could have explored more. Yeah, and I think maybe this has to do with the running time, because it's like, 
80 something minutes I think and it's very short and it like you say it touches on upon everything and I think it works a lot with the tropes of the western yes. I think it profits yeah. from those you know you know when someone says oh we have to travel west you immediately have images of the untamed west and why do you go west because you have dreams and oh look there's the outlaw and the bounty hunter and you know that all of this evokes something so you don't have to explain it but I think that leaves the characters somewhat flat yeah it's a uh, it's uh, people call it a revisionist western, mm -hmm. and they certainly there's observations and uh, that they, uh, they uh, that they make in comparison to to the western because the revisionist western always works in the comparison to the yeah. traditional western, but I think they 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 only comment on it on a very surface level. Like what 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 would yes. you say is a revisionist so, element? So a revisionist element is, for example, that uh, Native Americans have no voice. And here they they are uh, a topic that that is being discussed, but they still have no voice. Mm -hmm. It is being discussed that they are being uh, killed in masses, mm -hmm. but it's just in such an underwhelming way. In, and it's just uh, this discussion between Jay and this uh, lone traveler mm -hmm. who is trying to um, convert every uh, all the Native Americans to Christianity to save them, and it's like okay, yeah, this might be a true statement or maybe this is uh, close to reality, maybe somebody tried to do that, but at the same time, it, it just fails to undercut this, this trope of mm -hmm. not giving them a voice by just showing the destruction of a yeah. village. I think, or yeah, there's, there's this, also this uh, uh, a lack of uh, diversity in the West, in classical Westerns, mm -hmm. where there's a... There's a, the, a historical fact that there have been very uh, uh, that many a Asians who built the railroad, mm -hmm. uh, and there is one character who has like one word to say, yeah. and he's just part of this outlaw group. There's this band that is just randomly placed in the landscape mm -hmm. of three uh, African Americans who sing a song, and then Fastbender characters just says. Let's move on, mm -hmm. and nothing happens. Nothing is is made out of this. It's just thrown in there as like, okay, I'm aware of this, but let's not. I cannot. I have nothing to say about it. Yeah. And that increasingly it, it got very annoying because when you when you when you see an awareness, but it's it, there's nothing being done about mm -hmm. it. It's it's just almost as bad. Yeah, and I think this sort of goes into the question, you know, of, of Jay. Like, because he's this naive, naive, privileged boy. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if the film, you know, does enough to point this out or deconstruct it. And I think it goes somehow in the in the same direction. Because do they, does the film applaud Jay's, you know, uh, actions? Or does it criticize mm -hmm. them or not? I think this is very, it remains very unclear. And I think this is maybe also... Some, the same goes in the same direction, you know, seeing something and then sort of pointing it out, but not doing anything with it. Mm. And I don't know, I feel like um, the film structurally speaking doesn't quite work out because, okay, so you could say, and this, if you wanted to criticize Jay for, you know, fantasizing about this woman who loves him and who, as the real person, doesn't love him. Okay, so you only have her in flashbacks and in his memory. Okay, so you do that because... So it's it his makes construction. A, yeah, yeah, makes a point. Okay, but then, like, two-thirds through the film, you suddenly see her, you know, from her point of view, when Jay is even there. Yeah, yeah, it changes. And, and that doesn't work. Yeah. I think if you pick one 
you should stick with it otherwise that doesn't work and then now I also want to know more about her and you know her story and her and Sa uh, Silas' story because for some reason apparently she then ends up with Silas so Jay sort of is a is a messenger who brings her Silas for some reason I think I don't know yes and this is also alluded to in, in this uh in this dream yeah. Jay has and it's his fear that then manifests itself uh -huh. and yeah, then you can make the point of that the, the West is maybe not this this um, this uh, space of the American dream, but more a nightmarish space where you where fears manifest. But again, it's like it's not it's not a very strong point, and it's mm -hmm. not it's very, not convincing enough. No, I agree. And uh, uh, what I do think, though, there are a couple of interesting shots maybe like one i really oh, yeah. liked is where um he's just been uh the this missionary or this uh anthropologist has just taken all of his stuff because jay is unbelievably naive so he's uh traveling across this um this this desert like space all alone in is basically his underwear and then he comes across some mushrooms and then you see like the shot is from the vantage point basically or like on the on the level of the mushrooms and he seems like a giant looming there and it sort of maybe made me think of Gulliver's travels and you know where he goes to a country where he's suddenly a giant and this is all strange country which you know somehow yes. it's 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 interesting like, but then again it's it's very out of place it's never repeated it's the point what is the point that he's a giant in a huge desert which is not really uh, supporting the thesis of him just being lost yeah. some, somewhat. Um, I think the cinematography, as you say, is, is probably one of the strongest parts, but not as a, as a consistent element of the film. Mm -hmm. it, it, doesn't, it doesn't add anything to the content. It's just there to look pretty. There's this, this one um, sequence that I, uh, that I liked where um, after the, the Native American uh, village is destroyed, there's this huge smoke in the forest and he just walks through and it looks like mist and you're not, not exactly mm -hmm. sure, but then it turns out to be just smoke and ash on him and it's, it's visually very striking, mm -hmm. but then I'm like, okay, this yeah. was just pretty and now yeah. let's move on. I mean, another issue that I have with the representation of Native Americans in the film is um, uh, Kotori, who's mm -hmm. a Native American who somehow uh, he's friends with uh, Rose and her father. Yeah. And he sort of shows up and almost doesn't say anything. And then he leaves. And then uh, when Rose uh, and her father are attacked by the by, an, uh, by a gang of outlaws um, led by Ben Mendelsohn, uh, he comes back to help Rose. And... Um, then at some point, you know, he takes off his his shirt and he sort of puts on war paint and he takes out um, his arrow and his bow to to go uh, um, uh, defend the house. And then she, uh, Rose says to him, "Until civilization arrives." And I'm wondering here, what does is? I mean, this is a very um, how how would you say it's like a deprecating statement towards you mm -hmm. know a Native American civilization because it's basically oh you are you are the savage and you can only do this until civilization arrives again and that you have to be 
civilized again mm. basically yeah. so that was that was i found that very irritating yeah this goes again into this uh, these tropes of native americans and uh, classical westerns where they only can be represented as binary either they're these these brutes uh, vicious uh, killing cannibals or the 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 noble savage who saves the the girl in the end and it's just the representation it but does. who has to die because obviously yeah, can he cannot end up with the girl my god yeah so i think you know we had like we sort of had high expectations for the film but they were disappointed yeah yeah underwhelming someone mm -hmm. agreed all right so but maybe we have something to look forward to andre i know you have something to look forward to well next week the Lugano film festival starts and i'm gonna go there and i'm gonna watch a bunch of movies and i'm very excited about it because the Lugano film festival is very exciting because it's not only one of the biggest film festivals in the world but it also has an open-air um, cinema screened uh, on the Piazza Grande in Locarno. Um, and every night it shows one to two movies. And it's always very exciting because you see the stars and the big screen. <laughs> okay, so while you go off gallivanting and having all the fun, um, I might make it to the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think uh, I might, if I can, um, watch Destination Wedding, which is by director and writer Victor Levin. And it's uh, Wanona Ryder and Keanu Reeves who play Frank and Lindsay, who are going to, as the title says, a destination wedding. Um, and for, for when they meet, it's loathing from the very first second, um, which is not surprising seeing how they are uh, two very difficult and cynical people. Um, but, you know, maybe the enforced company of the weekend might change something there. Who knows? Dun, dun, dun. I wonder. Yes. All right. <laughs> so I think that was it for this episode. To never miss any episode, subscribe to the One For You podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or any other generic podcast provider and give us all the stars and thumbs up you can. We would really appreciate it. We'll also keep you up to date on Twitter where we're at One For You Pod. Hear you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>